What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 13. My name is James Scully. Today's topic of conversation is emigrating to a new country and different ways to get yourself started. And it's a lucky number 13 today because our guest, Susan Doyle, has emigrated from Ireland to the United States and back and forth a grand total of four times in her life. She's also somebody who's switched her career midway while crossing over from the Atlantic to America and has embarked on an entirely different career here in PR. She used to work for an Irish radio station. She now does PR and media for Bloomberg, and she has great insight into the many things that she has done to help her get to all of these points in life. The other day I was thinking about this podcast and how they're always centered around helpful topics, but it also dawned on me the importance of the fact that these conversations with people delve into their lives and we learn so much about them because they're being vulnerable and opening up and telling all of us the inner workings of their minds. And we can all learn something from that because we're all very similar. And I noticed that most of us have some sort of attempt to every day grow. We all want to grow as people. That, that's normal. Almost everybody that I know has the idea that today they're going to grow a little more and tomorrow they're going to grow a little more than that. And Susan is somebody who sets goals for herself in life and is able to accomplish them because she takes things one step at a time. Allowing herself to be vulnerable has led to some serendipitous outcomes and now growth is occurring because of it. In this conversation, Susan will talk about some of the things like um, what it was like for her to be tossed into a new school environment with one year left in high school, then to decide that something was missing from her life to a certain degree in her 20s and make her way back to America, where she has family here. And she also talks about her love of broadcasting, how that helped her get a job in PR, where she's going to next. And it's a very insightful conversation that I felt was a turning point in my philosophy here as a, I don't know, broadcaster on the Wallbreakers podcast. When I interview somebody, I've always felt like they were important, but I just didn't realize how important they were to me on a multi-dimensional uh, level because knowing that I'm learning so much about people and, in my, and myself in the process in recording these interviews is making me want to rev them up and do lots and lots of them and get everybody talking to each other because from the reviews that I've gotten from you guys, you love them and we are going to be trying to present these interviews to you on the 1st and the 15th of the month. So you can get these interviews by subscribing on iTunes and searching for The Wall Breakers. That's T-H-E-W-A-L-L-B-R-E-A-K-E-R-S. Or you can also go to SoundCloud.com slash The Wall Breakers. And as you know, if you go to TheWallBreakers.com, there's a media player in the right-hand rail that has a playlist of every podcast we've ever had in ascending chronological order, or descending chronological order, sorry. So, with that being said, today's topic of conversation is emigrating to a new country and how to get yourself started, and our guest is Susan Doyle, and that's coming up right after the break. Hey 
Hey guys, back on the podcast. Today's guest is Susan Doyle, and Susan works for the global PR and communications team and media team and several other teams here at Bloomberg. Uh, no, I'm just joking about that. Susan, please, would you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Susan Doyle. I work on the global communications team at Bloomberg. And the reason why I wanted to interview Susan today was because during this topic, growth here on the Wall Breakers in April, one of the things that I wanted to hit on was what it would be like for somebody to emigrate to a new country and what they would have to do to get themselves started. Because we all know somebody who's either left the country that they're from and they're now living with us here, or they've left America or wherever you are and they've moved somewhere else. So Susan is someone who has bounced back and forth in her life between Ireland and America two times apiece. And I wanted to get her input on what that was like for her. So welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm going to start with something a little outside of that, though. Susan is someone who has lots of experience in broadcasting, and I'm curious as to where that love originally came from. So a uh, long history of broadcasting in my family. My dad um, was a big radio fan, and he actually owned a pirate station uh, in a very small town in Ireland when I was, probably before I was even born. And he ran that station himself. It was his passion. He's a photographer by trade. And he ran the station, and I kind of grew up listening to a lot of music, a lot of CDs. And I was probably making radio shows on audio cassette from the age of six or seven. He kept that studio set up in our house all the time, even after the station had long gone away. So that's kind of where it came from. I was adamant when I got to college that I wanted to do television and not radio. But probably around my junior year of college, I started listening to a podcast called Radio Lab which is a science podcast. And if you know me, you know that I have nothing to do with science. I'm terrible at science and math. But this podcast was just so brilliantly done that it sort of re-inspired my love of radio. And I looked into radio internships and decided that that's what I wanted to focus on. Now, your father is a photographer. And he's also somebody who ran a pirate radio station. Your parents now currently live in Ireland. They do. But... The first time that you moved to America, it wasn't of your own volition. You moved because you were a kid and your parents picked up and moved. What made your parents, if you don't mind sharing, decide to move to New York and Brooklyn? Well, I guess it's cliche to say that the U.S. is the land of opportunity, but it really is. And if you're a photographer, this is probably where you want to be. It's the creative capital of the world. This is where he wanted to work. And so that's why we moved. That's why we took the leap. What year was that? How old were you? 1994, and I was six, almost seven. And so you were here in America until high school, right? Yeah. Uh, which you left um, right after high school or right junior before? Year. Right. right after junior year. So that would be 2003? Mm -hmm. And that was because your parents decided to move back to Ireland? Yep, pretty much at the mercy of my mom and dad. Right. So now your parents and your father moved here because it's the land of opportunity, according to your dad in 1994. Yep. Nine years later, and did they always live on Bay Parkway? Pretty much, yeah. We lived so, in Brooklyn. And the entire that's time. right. That's how Susan and I first met. We were on the same middle school bus together <laughs> in the 1990s. So, if anybody knows Bensonhurst, that's where we are from. But your parents moved back. Why? Well, they were at the age. I have two siblings that are a lot older than me, and my parents decided that you know New York is pretty fast paced, and they were getting older in years, and eventually they wanted to end up back home where they were. Uh, my dad is still a photographer to this day. He does a lot of weddings these days, and he's, you know, in his late 60s. So he's was just... it a matter of, let's do this now before we're 
a little too old and we're stuck here kind of thing. Like, let's go reset up our lives. I think it felt like the right time. And he obviously did a lot of research into kind of markets in Ireland and who needed a photographer. And he's pretty well known there. So Mm -hmm. it sort of seemed like a good time and a good fit for them. I wish I had more insight into the decision-making process. But at 16, I think I was a little more concerned with friends and school and boyfriends and all that silly stuff. But it shows also that you mentioned that your dad did a lot of research. Obviously, if you're going to make a life move, mm-hmm. you should do that. That doesn't mean that everybody is going to do that because a lot of people pick up and leave one day without having really done their homework. But your dad is both a creative person. He's a photographer. And really, when it comes to art, from what you've ever told me, a jack of all trades, really. Mm-hmm. But he's also somebody who has not forgotten completely the analytical side of life, which is you have to, you have to do research. You have to put in that kind of hard work that a lot of times artists don't always want to do. I'm not trying to patronize artists when I say that. So it seems that a lot of that rubbed off on you, basically. Yeah, and I think, you know, he does have a practical side to him as well as being someone who's extremely creative. And I'm sure it wasn't easy for him to do that research and figure it out. But he's also a people person, and it's all about who you know, and it's all about who you ask, and making contacts and asking questions. So that's definitely a part of his personality that I've taken. Um, and definitely something that's helped me in my career and my moves. Right, and that's obviously step one for if you want to, any kind of move, even if you wanted to move a mile away, you still have to do your homework. But if you're going to cross the Atlantic Ocean, mm-hmm. I think maybe you might agree that having been forced to do that twice in your life, in, in childhood, made the decision to do so again as an adult, easier for yourself because you had been through that before. Yeah, and I think forced is probably not the nicest word, but I get what you're saying. And I think, you know, I kicked and screamed about it, especially at 16. Um, I had one year left of high school and they were going to move me, and um, I was really upset about it. And it turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me because when you're put in that situation, you have to sort of, you really have to get outside your comfort zone. You have to meet people. You're in a new situation. And I ended up actually meeting some of the best friends I've ever made by doing that and going outside my comfort zone. And now, when you were in college, you had a love of broadcasting and television, also dramatic theater and dance and singing. Yeah. Take me through the months after college. What was that like for you in Ireland? After college? Yes. So I went into grad school after college, but the summer immediately after college, I did an internship here in the U.S. at WPLJ Radio in New York City. Um, and it was one of the best summers of my life. It was seeing firsthand what goes into a daily morning radio show. It's everything from clipping things from a newspaper to answering phone calls to, you know, getting coffee for the drummer of Foreigner. It was sort of a random summer, but it was great, and it kind of threw me in the deep end. And I also had some mentors at the station who let me play around with audio equipment and let me edit things after the show was over, and, you know, that was something that really help me later on because you don't get the chance to do that in a real studio very often. Right, exactly. So I went into grad school and I really focused, I did a master's in broadcasting in TV and radio. Now I don't want to diminish your college years either by jumping ahead there. As somebody who didn't go to college in America, can you off the top of your head think of a few things that might be different about a college experience in Ireland than it would be in America, or is it pretty much the same across the board? You, you major in something, you have a lot of fun. It's a little different. Um, you In Ireland, the system is such that you sort of decide your major before you're even finished in high school. So you don't get to have a year where you kind of mess around and figure out what you want to do. You pretty much have to decide. But you couldn't change it? 
you can, but it's costly and it and, takes time. And, and you have to go back to the beginning? Yep. And it's, um, it's a difficult system. You need to know what you want. And luckily I did. And right up until the last minute, I was thinking about being a journalist. And I stuck with the broader communications degree because I thought it gave me a little more scope to do other things. And that was the right choice for me, thank God. But, you know, it's a little bit different. Um, it's shorter. Most Irish universities do three-year degrees. They're honors degrees, but they're three years. So you and don't you, have that extra year. And, but do you go into university at 18? Yeah. If you go, if you graduate. So it's basically 12 years of school like here, and then yeah. you go to college. Yeah. So not only do you have to know what you want to do, basically, before you go to college, they're only giving you three years to sort it out while in college, and then at 20, you're in the work world? Yeah, and it depends on your degree. If you're doing a science degree, some of them are four years. It just depends on what it is that you're studying. Do most people go to grad school in Ireland? Or, like, that's that's too vague of a question, I'm sorry. Um, do most people that you know from Ireland, your peers, were they satisfied with the decisions that they've made? And you, you mentioned that people here are allowed to take more time to figure their life out. And, I mean, we're 28, 29 years old now, and I still know people in college. <laughs> they've been in college for 10 years. It's kind of yeah. like, figure that out already. You know, like, yeah. but do you think, uh, I, I mean, there are pros and cons to both, but from your, in your opinion, is it better to have to take a plunge early and then, you might roll zero and, and really hate what you're doing and then have to start over. Or So there's a couple of things. So the Irish school system is built with um, a year called transition year in high school. It's an extra year that you can take or not take when you're about 15 or 16. And it's a year where you don't have any academic stress. It's all about volunteer work, figuring out what you want to do, getting involved in the arts and going on kind of athletic things and it's, it's really a year to figure it out so you do get that year in high school so you get a 12-month retreat pretty much you're you're judged on various different you know you have you're tested on various different things but people generally get like certificates of computers and things like that that year you qualify for certain things and some people decide not to do it at all and they think they know exactly what they want to do already and so they go ahead and some people do it it's so interesting. It almost feels like um, it's some sort of like parliamentary antiquated way to, <laughs> to educate. You're focusing on like different focuses without having the breakneck uh, need to know what you want to do, which seems so beneficial. I think maybe in America, having to figure this stuff out, or let's say that even if you don't know what you want to do, you might already have loans incurred or the clock is ticking and, you know, it's hard to get a job. So you just jump into the work world then it. I, I, I think that sounds like there's there's more benefits to doing it that way. Well, it depends, right? Because then you're, you do your last two years of high school. Um, they're both exam years, and you take six to ten subjects, depending on how many you want to do, um, and you are tested on them at the end of the two years. There's no cumulative work, it's, and then those tests are used to figure out what you do in college. So you have to get a certain amount of points to be a doctor, and you have to get a certain amount of points to be you know a vet or whatever it is that you want to do. Now, in saying all of that, and similar to the way people graduated in the U.S., we came out of college at a pretty rough time economically. Yeah, right. So people were forced to sort of re-examine what they were doing in life. And well, they were... but that's, we should say, that's us, you and I, in mm -hmm. 2008. Yeah. You know, somebody might be five years younger or older. Right, it's different now. Right. But also, Ireland is really unique in that it's a small country, limited opportunities, but sometimes great opportunities. But in an economic recession, the choices were sort of limited for people who graduated in my year. Mm -hmm. So people uh, emigrated. 
I have friends that went to Japan, I have friends that went to Kuwait, Kenya, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, you name it, people were traveling. And they were just getting these opportunities to go. And mostly it was people who decided to do that. They weren't forced into it, they didn't wait too long until they were totally broke and had to live with their parents. They said, you know what, let me take the opportunity to go on an adventure. It looks good on my resume, it gives me some experience abroad that I might not get here. And a lot of people went and did that. So obviously, emigration wouldn't have been a something that was in the forefront of your mind if there were so many abundant opportunities for you in Ireland that you didn't even know which way to turn. You know what? I wouldn't say that because I think being Irish, the lure of emigration has always been there. It's sort of inbuilt historically. Why is that? It's a small country. So, I mean, if you look at the millions of Irish people all over the world, I mean, they all came from that tiny island. Right. And it's sort of inbuilt, and maybe it comes from the famine. I don't know. Maybe it comes from... You mean the potato famine in the 1800s, right? Yes, I do. You know, maybe it's inbuilt from that. Maybe it's, it's a historical trait that we have that gives us a need for adventure or a need to see the world because we live in a small island. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But it's definitely something that a lot of people took advantage of. Now, you posted an, an article uh, right around Christmas time that I happened to see and I bookmarked because I've been wanting to interview you for months now. And it's from the Irish Times by uh, Janet Kalinowski, and it's called In Praise of the Things Ireland Gives Its Emigrants. And I thought that was a, a very interesting article for this particular subject in general. And the article itself talks about a lot of the good and bad in Ireland, essentially. It's most, you know, it's praising the things that Ireland gives people who come into the country, but also people are leaving, like you're saying, at, at not a breakneck speed. It's not it like, was for a while. Right. But I think that also might have also been for the same reason why I knew so many people in 2008, and specifically 2009, the, the year younger than us, which usually you have friends in the younger year. How many people like early 2009 were scrambling to go to grad school then because they realized, I can't get a job. Let me try to reset this need. So... I think it was just, I think maybe that's a matter of um, the world economy and people just looking for refuge somewhere as far as work goes. Yeah, and just to clarify too, when I went to grad school, it was mostly because I felt like I didn't have enough practical experience. You know, college gives you a lot of theory, um, and I felt like I hadn't spent enough time in a studio. So I, did, I went to grad school and I picked this particular program because it put me every single day in a radio or a TV studio. Right. And through it, I got to meet people in the Irish radio industry and the Irish television industry, which led me to my first job there. So for some people, it was because they didn't know what they wanted to do next. For me, I just felt unprepared. Now, you didn't leave Ireland in 2008. You came a few years after that. So it wasn't like you were looking, as soon as you were done with grad school, like you're saying, you were working in Ireland when you made the decision to leave. You had a nice job, actually, and you still made the decision to go. Take me through what that's like. Now, I've been there, actually, but if you're happy with your life or you're satisfied, but something's missing, I feel like, from my experience, and maybe you can agree or disagree, it starts small, and then it's slowly, it's like a little Woody Woodpecker pecking away at your head until you're like, I've got to make a move. I've got to do something about this. I'm growing stagnant, and that's not acceptable to me. Right. And you can't see me, people who are listening to this, but I'm nodding furiously. Yes. How did that start for you? Take me through your mindset at the time. On my last episode, I was talking about just the things that were going on in the community and how you do live, 
like a stream of consciousness. You and I are the same people we were that we were when we were in the sixth grade taking the bus together. Yeah. We didn't blink and it happened. We've lived the life. We've, it's a stream of consciousness. It, uh, life is a series of you get up, you go to work, you go to sleep. And that can become a pattern. And sometimes that pattern is not satisfactory when you find that you get yourself into a little mini rut. For somebody like yourself who's always had the guts to make those leaps, take me through what that was like for you. Everything that led up to you jumping across the country. And now you do have family here mm -hmm. in New York, so it wasn't like you were moving somewhere totally blind, but you still had to restart your life. The only thing that you were basically given was a, a place to land. Yeah, and I'm very lucky, and I had a place to live when I came here, which I think is terrible. Also, I'm a dual citizen, so I know a lot of people who had visa issues coming back and forth to wherever they were going. I think it sort of started when my friends first started leaving, emigrating, going to different places, and I got this sort of, you know, look at these people all going on these big adventures. Some of them are succeeding, some of them are finding it tough, but they're experiencing it. And I started to wonder, well, what would happen if I did that? And once you start thinking about it, like you said, it, it's, it's you've got late. to do it then. Yeah, yeah because late. then you'll never know. And I think I'm similar to you in that um, if I'm not satisfied, if I'm like everything is fine, mm -hmm. and that's not good enough. Right. And what I was starting to say earlier is that 21 becomes 28, 29, 30, 40, 50, 60 very quickly. And growth in life is not inherent. It doesn't just happen. Like some, sometimes it does. But there are times in our lives that we have to say, I have to make growth occur here. And on the other side of this, it's going to be good, you know? Yeah, and for me, I was freelancing at a radio station, a national station. I loved my job. I loved the people that I worked with. I went to interview for a permanent position. And even though I had been freelancing in that role, I didn't get the job. And I was devastated. And it didn't mean I was out of work. I was still freelancing every single day. And you know, But was, it said something to you about what they thought of you. Or what comes next, basically. Right. And I, you know, I was living in a beautiful apartment. I had a long-term boyfriend at the time. I had great family and friends there. But something said to me, what happens next? And right. I didn't know. And I thought, you know what? If I don't do this now, never going to do it. Right. Exactly. And we happen to be at that age where we're in our 20s and you and I happen to not be married with a family. So if you're going to make that kind of a jump, now's the time. But th the truth is... For those who are married with kids, you can still make jumps like that. You just have, there are more responsibilities that you have to plan for, but it's not impossible. Right, and it's a feeling you get in a place. Like, I knew New York felt exciting to me. It felt like somewhere where I could be challenged and meet people and grow creatively and potentially have a career move that would be beneficial long term, and I'm so glad that I did it. What's the date that you moved to America again? August 18th. It's five, it's five years ago this 2000. August. Wow. But I was asking that because... August 18th. I know right, date. Yeah, yeah. Like I figured you would know the moment that yeah. that happened. And I, I remember the moment I made the decision. It was the day after Christmas, the year before. I woke up that morning. I went into my dad's office. And I was like, Dad, six months from now, I'm going to go. And he's like, yeah, okay. He's like, really? Have you thought about this? And I said, yeah, I have. I'm going to start telling people. And then it's real. Right, because once you tell somebody, you have to do it. It's real then. That's my moniker for myself internally with the wall breakers. I tell people things, so then I'm like, I've got to do that now. I can't just not do <laughs> it once I tell somebody. Right, yeah, you set those things up. Yes. And I actually, it's interesting because you happened to uh, reach out to me shortly after that. Yeah. At that time, because we hadn't talked in a long time. But, okay, so now you get to America in New York. 
you're staying with your sister and your brother-in-law in Long Island. That was a relaxing time in some ways because you weren't immediately working, so you were allowed to get your bearings, but you're not working in radio anymore. You work for Bloomberg. It's a completely different career, although I'm sure there are takeaways, like there's takeaways everywhere. Describe to me that transition, why Bloomberg, other than the name and, and its notoriety, but in terms of uh, switching careers, what were some of the things that you had decided that made you switch your career? Why not radio here in New York? Or why, why make this change at that time? So my first couple of months here were kind of tough. I worked part-time at my sister and my brother-in-law's company, and I had worked with them every summer since I was 16. So I did that three days a week, and then that allowed me the other two days a week to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Uh, so I started interning at a radio station in New York, WNYC. Fantastic place to work. Great team, really smart programming, loved working there. But they didn't have any openings. I was just interning. I did some correspondent work for the station back home, and I helped them out by covering things like the Occupy Wall Street event and all that kind of stuff. At Hurricane Sandy, I did a piece on. You know, but little things like that just weren't cutting it. And I came to Bloomberg to interview for a part-time TV researcher job. And I got through several interviews at Bloomberg. They eventually took somebody internally. And they were like, well, we'll look at your resume another time. And I thought, yeah, I'm never going to hear from Bloomberg again. About two or three months later, they called me. HR said, hey, we kept your resume on file. You've never done PR work before, but we think you might be a good fit for this role. Why don't you come in and talk to us about it? And that's a testament to a good PR or a good HR person. It would make sense that you could do PR because you, your whole career was based in radio. So you're basically doing PR on the fly in some ways. That well, basically, when you're a radio producer or a researcher, you're pitched by PR people all the time. And right. you know what makes a good pitch and what makes a bad pitch. Mm -hmm. And you're constantly evaluating guests that go on air. So you know what makes a good expert and who's good and who's a good talker and, you know, who's terrible and talks for miles. And, mm -hmm. you know, you learn James to evaluate. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can do a media training if you want, James. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, you learn those things. And so it's like crossing the divide. Right. Um, I started working with somebody here at Bloomberg who was really experienced in the TV world and we just seemed to make a good team and she taught me a lot and um, that was three years ago. Let's backtrack for a moment now because this topic is about emigrating really mm -hmm. although what you just said fits if you're gonna jump to a new job or to a new country a lot of research has been involved there's paperwork to do you know depending on what you want to do now you happen to have a dual citizenship so as far as visa issues go you weren't forced to have, you didn't have any visa issues. You're yeah. a citizen of America, so it would have been the same as if you just moved back to Ireland. You can do yeah. that tomorrow. but, so here's the thing. If you looked at my resume when I first moved here, it was just full of Irish jobs and Irish right. um, universities. And for a long time, I was like, why am I not getting any interviews? And then one of my friends was like, you need to tell people you're a dual citizen. Because, you know, when you're looking for a job oh, they here... Thought, they thought, oh, we have to sponsor this person. Yes. And so it was sort of a game changer when I figured that one out. But, you know, it sounds obvious, but I just didn't even think right, about it. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But it also, would you say that... Now, you started back at the beginning, the totem pole, really, with Bloomberg. It's not that you started as an intern, but your Irish radio experience got you the position at Bloomberg, but it didn't get you some sort of senior role or I have five years of experience kind of role. So you... Not only were changing countries, but you were changing positions. So not only was your experience not in the PR world, it was also in Ireland. So sometimes do people 
if they're reading a resume and they see, oh, all your experience is in Ireland, great. That means you have no experience as far as I'm concerned. It depends on the company. And some, another Irish person who's a journalist here, I reached out to him when I first moved over and I said, hey, do you have any advice for me? He's like, seek out companies that are global and companies that appreciate people from other countries. That makes sense. And Bloomberg is totally like that. I hear accents from all over the world here and I hear people who have more Irish accents than like more Irish spoken than me right so you know it's definitely a company that appreciates that um but also it's a flat organization like we talked about my title i don't have a title per se here so it means that even if you come in at the lower end of the totem pole you get the opportunity to work with people who are much more senior than you and you know it's kind of a fluid company like that so those are two things that really helped me out when i first started here interesting and now to me that makes sense because mike bloomberg Mr. Bloomberg, as I don't know him, to call him Mike, but he's a self-made man. So he wouldn't, he's not the kind of person who would probably be interested in titles and things like that because you work for what you're going to get in the end. Yeah, and I'm not sure where the philosophy comes from, but I just know that it, it seems to benefit people here. That makes sense. So it adds a lot of camaraderie because yeah. you're not going in there with a, a, a hierarchical structure that can be oppressive, essentially. Yeah. When you're making your decisions, you know, in work, well, let's, let me ask you this. So you changed your careers, mm -hmm. and now you're working for Bloomberg, and you've been here for three years now, and I know you that you work your rear end off, basically. Harder than maybe anybody that I know that's name isn't Dr. Something. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, if somebody wants to make a move, if anybody is waiting for things to happen to them in life, it's not going to happen. You, you get what you, what you earn, essentially, in life. You have to work hard and do your research and... And find your passions, too, though, you know, because from my experience, any time that I've been personally placed into a situation that doesn't give me the opportunity to foster any passions, I have to leave because I'm just a zombie then walking around. So, but you having an open mind, we're able to transition into kind of like the other side of a coin. Mm -hmm. And you've stayed passionate about your work. And granted, it's a huge company, so there's a lot of opportunities to grow. But what, what holds your passion for you at this point in your life? So I think, first of all, whenever I feel like I'm in a rut, I go through a couple of stages. First, people get worried about me because I don't want to do anything. Like, I'm, I'm in the, like, mourning period. Something didn't work out, like that job interview I didn't get. You know, and I freak out about it for a little while, but then I get to a point and I just get off my butt. And that's, you know, I know it's always going to happen. I allow myself the time to sort of say, this part is not so good. Soon I'll be on to the next part. And that's, that's what I do. That's, that's the process. But I think I came into this job not really knowing how much I would love PR, love relationships, love building messages, love working with experts and figuring out branding. And, you know, you learn so much. And every day I still learn a lot. And I think it's working with people that's my passion. Mm -hmm. I learned very quickly that in New York, if you don't focus on who you know in this city, especially in PR it's going to be a hindrance to you. So I had to meet a lot of people and make contact with a lot of people very quickly. And I enjoy doing that. So it's not like it was easy, but it was just something that I really enjoy and I still enjoy. And I still enjoy meeting new people every single day. Um, I do a lot of media training and I do a lot of uh, working one-on-one -on -one with people. And that's just something that I really enjoy and love. One of the things that I love about the Wall Breakers and getting to sit down with people that I know, some, some better than others, and record these uh, interview sessions is how much commonality there is between people who are finding 
levels of success and happiness, therefore, in life. And a lot of it does have to do with getting off your butt and, you know, working hard. But you also hit on something that was, I thought was really interesting. You allow yourself a period of mourning. We're not always going to be in the World Series of our life. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you just need that moment and you have to give yourself the time to say, I kind of feel like crap right now and that's okay because it's not going to be forever. And But if I allow myself to this period... I'll come out the other side of it and say, all right, let's let's do something now. And to uh, your advantage there, by doing that, your mind was open to a transition to a career like Bloomberg. So sometimes I think that's a really good bit of advice there that sometimes we just need time. You have time takes time. And yeah, people say to you, snap out of it. Yeah. I, my response is, you know what? This is what I'm doing right now. You know I'll snap out of it and get off my butt whenever the time is right. And you just have to allow that because it's important. It's important to figure out what comes next without leaping. That's a good point. And that goes back to your dad and doing the research. Because truthfully, I think a lot of times what I'm finding in life is that it's our own self-education that will lead to our happiness in some ways too. Because you can't just expect to walk through every blind alley or door and say, this is the place to be. How do you know? You don't know anything about what's on the other side of that. You know, you can be open-minded, but it still helps to direct it to a certain degree. Right, and like we said before, once you get that little bug in your head that you want to move on to the next thing, I mean, you can't get rid of that until you do it. Right. And one thing that I said on a, another recording, that uh, the last recording I did, was that nobody in the world wants to live with voids. Like, if you're not happy, it's not going to just magically get better. You have to go do something. That, like, follow your instinct. Do what's going to make you happy. Figure out how to do it. Because any other decision is just, like various forms of self-medication to fight who, what you really are, who you really are. Right. And it's not just theoretical either. There are, you know, there's a lot of hard work involved in it and a lot of research. And I remember this is back when I worked in radio, I started working in radio and I was doing research on an evening talk show and I had to book a lot of guests on that show, experts in politics and economics and various things. And I just come out of college. I didn't know who these experts were. And these are people in, that were on Irish media all the time, and I had no idea who they were. So I would work in the evenings, and in the morning I would get up early, I would go through the newspaper, and I would figure out who the expert was on every little topic. And then I would come into the production meeting that day, and they would say, um, who can we get on on the nursing strike today? And I'd be like, oh, such and such a professor has been talking about nursing strikes. And they'd be like, cool, call him, book him. And, you know, it's a lot of doing your homework as well and figuring that out. But I will also say that this was something that you had a passion for. Yes. If you weren't interested in it, you would have. It didn't feel to me, or at least I don't want to put words in your mouth. But it sounds like that wasn't work to you. That was just enjoyment because it's what you wanted to do. So you weren't slogging through this research. You know, you it was. Let me do this. I love this. It's going to help me. Right, and it was fun for me. Right, in it, a nerdy way. Yeah, <laughs> but it, but it's because it was a passion of yours. So, yeah. so, and it's true that to, uh, let's say, monetize our passions, mm -hmm. whether it be if you're working for somebody else or you're in business for yourself, it's going to take a lot of hard work. You're, it's, it's going to be seamlessly integrated with your life, but the truth of the matter is that's really what your calling is at this time, so don't be mad that it's seamlessly integrated with your life because it's part of who you truly are, so let it breathe. I remember when I moved over to PR and I 
you know, I came from a world where we were creating a radio show every single day, and I felt like I was very creative. And then I came to PR, and I thought, it's all about storytelling. Like, it was storytelling when I worked in radio, and now it's storytelling in PR. And if you love doing that, then that is something that you're always going to recognize. It's a passion of yours, and it spurs you on into the next thing. How far down the line, then? Like, do you, are you thinking about your five-year plan, your ten-year plan, or are you worrying about Tuesday? <laughs> a little of all of that. I'm, I'm a goal setter, so I, you know, every year at New Year's, I set a lot of goals for the year and for five years. Um, some of them are really broad, and I've found that, you know, unexpected things happen if you're open to it. So I don't try and plan every little career detail. I just know I always want to grow and learn and keep my eyes open. Are you saying that serendipity leads to growth? Because that seems really fortuitous. Why, James, I do listen to the Wall Breakers podcasts. <laughs> well, but there you have it. Serendipity does lead to growth because if you're open-minded, you will grow from it, really. Absolutely. In 20, All right, so what are some of your goals? In 2015, you know, I know that you told me that if you're not married by June, there's going to be something <laughs> not. I'm just joking. But what's next for you, really, like specifically or, or broad strokes? What, what have you got in mind or what's been eating at your mind lately that you feel like you want to address in your own life? So I'm constantly looking to learn. Um, I recently, you know, I started working at Bloomberg three years ago. I had no financial background at all. So I recently started taking some classes at NYU in business and finance, and that's been sort of expanding my horizon a little bit. I also don't know if I'm done moving yet. You know, I don't know if maybe I want to go to another city I'm not really ready to settle down somewhere. So that's always at the, the back of my mind. Who knows where that'll be? But in terms of 2015, on a broad level, coming up with some strategy that works for what I do here at Bloomberg mm -hmm. and you know, showing leadership and showing that what I've learned so far pays off. So it sounds to me that you're open-minded. I think it's important to have bullets, but don't try to connect them. They'll connect themselves, you know? Right. I mean, it's not like a fitness goal. I don't... I don't want to like make 10 more dollars next year than I did this year. It's not like that. It's more when you get to this age, you're not entry level and you're not super senior. So you're just developing yourself for the day that you do take on that next level of leadership and strategy. And I think it's, it's a nice time to sort of grow and figure it out. Right. And those are two good points. One, personally, if, and there are people out there, and that's why I want to say this, if your goal is to make 10 more dollars this year, or ten more dollars an hour, or whatever. I think that's the wrong way to think, because that has nothing to do with what you like, or what's going to, in the end, give you the more money. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, and it depends on your goals. You know, if you're somebody who has a family and a mortgage payment, and you need to make ten more dollars in order to live your life a certain way, then that's a goal that you have. I don't think we should judge people for sort of. You're thinking right. that way, yeah, not right. everybody thinks that their calling in life is not connected to money. Some people, it is. That's true. That's very true. I apologize to those people. If I <laughs> you. Do you have uh, any kind of advice you'd want to give somebody for if they want to, let's say they're in Ireland and they're looking to emigrate to America. Now, granted, you had dual citizenship, so removing any of the logistical things from it, but any kind of like closing remarks or retorts that you would make to somebody who's maybe looking to make some sort of big move, it, either it's a physical move to a new country or a new job or a new apartment with new roommates or whatever, what are three things that you try to tell yourself every day or, or something like that? When I look at everyone I know that have moved around physically and within their careers, there are very few that regret it. 
Right. You always feel good about making a jump in life. Right. I don't know. And, and you know, I sort of did a little experiment when I left Ireland. Uh, right before I left, I interviewed 10 of my friends that were emigrating. And I listened back to them not so long ago. And all of them were excited. Nobody was like, I have to go. The economy is so bad. And when I talk to them now, they're all delighted that they did it. And some of them have moved back to Ireland. Some of them are still here in different countries. Sure. Some of them met the love of their life in Japan. Some of them decided that Kenya wasn't for them and moved back to Ireland. And it just, there's no regret there. So if you have the urge to do it, you can always come back. Or go somewhere else. Yes. It's once you make that first jump, then every jump afterwards is easy. It's like... I don't know, diving into the deep end of a pool. If you know how to swim, but you're afraid to do it, once you do it, you go, oh my God, that's fun. I'm going to do it again. Not that picking up your whole life is always fun, but it's like what you're saying. On people's deathbeds, they don't regret all the good things that they've done. They regret all the things that they wish they did and didn't do. And so, even if it's terrible, you've taken something from it. Right, exactly. And even if it's terrifying, you learn who you are in the process. You learn what you're made of. And it's always way more than what you think you are at your most insecure moments. You're always more of a person or a man or a woman than you give yourself credit for at those times, you know? I mean, I think something that I ask myself every day is, how can this be better? What can I do that makes this better? And if it's not right, change it. Don't right. sit there and complain. Right. If it's not right, take the time to think about it and change it. And that doesn't always require you to throw the whole hand back in. Sometimes it's just a minor tweak that you can make Say, oh, actually, it was just this little thing. I didn't have to blow out the whole process. Right, but you need to be open. You do, absolutely. Speaking of open, do you have anything that you would like to plug? <laughs> Susan's address is... <laughs> She's single. <laughs> you know, no plug in particular, just if you hear her Bloomberg expert, think of me. Okay. You know... Sometimes synergy is just evident with somebody, and Susan is someone who has great synergetic qualities. She, as you can tell, is very easygoing and very confident in who she is in a very in an understated way. She's just being herself all the time, and she's trying to discover who she is on a continual basis and ask for growth and go after it. Susan's insights into the Irish school system were quite insightful. I thought that the method in which they educate the students where you're allowed to take a year to figure yourself out is very intuitive. I think perhaps maybe many of us were able to do that in college, but I'm not sure how many of us also got the opportunity. I, as a college freshman, took a foundation course where I didn't get into my major until my second year. So for the first year of my career, at college, everybody who was in all of the majors except for fashion and architecture were all lumped into one foundation where you took six-hour drawing studios, you took six-hour three-dimensional design studios, you took three hours of art history, you took three hours of, at the time it was called four-dimensional design, which was like basically Final Cut Pro, some Photoshop stuff. This is 2004, so this is 10 years ago, and it might have been a little behind at that time too, but you also then took six hours of light color design where you were doing things like staring at a wall and just having to paint the colors that you saw. And it was a great course that has given me so much base knowledge that when you finally do get into your major, you grow because of how hard they put you to work. And I think probably the Irish way that 
they do that where they give a student a chance to learn is similar because you are tested at the end of the year. I wonder what some of your guys' college experiences were with your first years, how they differed between one and four. I'd love to hear about that. And on that note, I'll always be trying to provide podcasts for you guys on the 1st and the 15th of the month where possible. We're always going to have a mentor interview at some point during the month of April. We have to line up schedules with people. And because everybody's so busy, sometimes it does take more time than we'd like. We're going to be working extra hard to bring those to you. So coming up, still our April mentor interview. We hope to bring that to you in the next week or so. This week, you know, I've been thinking to myself, I'm so busy with some at-work events, cool stuff, I have to say, and running around for the wall breakers, and it's just a good time to be doing that. The weather's getting warm. You'll be able to put on a different set of clothes, and in turn, you kind of feel like a brand new person in that regard. So keep getting out there, guys. Keep breaking those walls. This has been Breaking Walls episode 13. My name is James Scully. If you have any kinds of comments, please send them to hello at thewallbreakers.com. And until next time, I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much.